There's something even higher than the justice which you have been filled with. There's a human impulse known as mercy, human act known as forgiveness. I am not acquainted with those words, partner Elijah. I know, muttered Bailey. I know. This is Genre. We are two guys who used to work together at a bookstore in Portland. You know, we used to talk about books every day for a living, but now we only talk about them for fun. And this week, we are talking about The Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. All right, Zach, for any listeners who haven't read the book, can you summarize it in 10 sentences or less? Okay, so in this story, we have three big people that you need to know. There's humans, and they live in big underground cities called the Caves of Steel. I mean, it's where the title comes from. Uh, there's the robots, and everyone hates the robots because they're taking all the jobs. And then there's the spacers, who are uh, basically people who have colonized other planets and are now snobs, and they live in their own colony called Spacetown. Someone gets murdered in Spacetown, and uh, we have our detective Elijah Bailey and his robot Daniil Oliva uh, on the case. So the victim is actually Daniil's creator, and they look identical. Now that's important for later. So this smells fishy to Elijah, who accuses his partner right off the bat of not even being a robot, but actually being the victim in in disguise. So that doesn't work out. So instead, what happens is they discover there's a big shadowy conspiracy of humans called the Medievalists. And they want everything to go back to how things looked at, oh, right around 1950, when the book was written. It turns out that Elijah Bailey's, our protagonist, his wife is actually a member of this group, and she's been hiding it from him. So Elijah goes around, he accuses some more people, uh, mostly falsely, until we get a big ending where they need to solve the case by midnight, or else the spacers will leave Earth forever. They do solve the case. It ends up being Elijah Bailey's boss, Julius Enderby, the chief of police. He killed the roboticist thinking that he was killing the robot. So even just from your summary, you know, you said solve the case. I get a feeling that this is not just regular science fiction. This is actually structured like a detective story. So in the Caves of Steel, we have Isaac Asimov's deliberate point to prove science or speculative fiction can be applied to any genre. Yeah, it sure seems like it. But, you know, we have we have this big whodunit as the big overarching plot that drives the whole story along, but do you feel like that's the only detective story tropes we got in this book? I think we start out in the story, you know, we have a dead body. Someone's dead, they gotta find out who's done it. There's a killer on the loose. Those both feel like detective fiction. Uh, Even our main character, Elijah Bailey, is a detective by profession. That's why he's on the case. He reports to the New York City's Commissioner of Police, Julius Enderby, um, and he keeps him updated about progress, finding the killer. Everything is step-by-step like a detective story. Then we have Ardaniel, who refers to Bailey as partner Elijah. So they're two cops, they're partners. And they drive around together to interview different suspects and search for clues, figure out motives, and they go to low-class diners and drink coffee together. It feels very hard-boiled detective. They even get trailed by thugs. I think their relationship even is uh, more defined by detective fiction. You know, they're almost like buddies trying to hunt down the killer. Yeah, I like the I like the attitude of this whole story. It felt almost, but not quite hard boiled. Maybe we could call it soft boiled. You know, like uh, Elijah Bailey. Yeah, he's like he's like chain smoking a pipe. 
You know, when there's a when there's a suspect, he's getting a little too rough with them. He has these hunches that he is like 100% certain of. And then he follows them through to the very end. And, you know, they're usually wrong, but finally he gets the right trail. And yeah, like you're talking about thugs following them. It's like the whole cultish conspiracy that ends up encompassing like like his his friends and even his family. The, this cult trying to frame him for the murder and he needs to solve the case before he himself gets pinned for everything. Like that was that was peak peak detective we'll say peak detective peak detective he he's no he's no Mike Hammer he doesn't drink a case of beer but he smokes a pipe all day reminds me of Sherlock Holmes so more time in this book I think is spent on like these detective elements than on the actual science fiction elements and you know I went into it thinking science fiction story let's pay attention to that kind of thing but we start out hunting down a killer that's the main purpose and like you said you know he's going to be he's going to be framed you know, he'll be put in jail if he doesn't clear his name, if Bailey doesn't clear his name. Human Bailey's and Robot Daniil's relationship starts out really strained. They're not great friends at all. But it becomes close, friendly, as they work together at the same motive. They might have different um, ways of doing things, but they learn to work together. We could say that, you know, the characters are established by science fiction. We have a human and a robot. So what kind of relationship is that? But then it grows and develops through detective fiction. Yeah, it's like there are different approaches to solving the case are what creates their character. And yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of detective story you couldn't see in a present day set detective story because you're never going to have a partner who's a robot that allows you to talk about solving cases. Like, how does a person who never forgets anything and can only think extremely logically solve a case, they end up being a very good detective. You know, one thing I really appreciate about the murder mystery aspects of this one was that as a reader, we actually got all the pieces we needed to solve the case right from the very beginning, especially compared to like the last piece of detection, uh, detective fiction we read together, which was um, uh, I, the Jury by Mickey Spillane. Or even just, you know, how we're all familiar with the classic Sherlock Holmes stories, or at least in a movie, or at least in a spoof. You know, we know how it goes. Uh, but there's there's always something hidden from the reader, it feels like. But this one, everything was right there, and, and it, nothing too crucial was left out until the very end. So, like, let me just lay it out. Number one, right from the beginning, we know that there are people on Earth who hate robots. Uh, these are people who are upset to the point of writing. You know, they want their jobs back. And also we know that they want to return above ground to, quote, soil-based life. And then number two, when the killer is introduced to us, as in we don't know he's a killer, but we meet the character who ends up being the guilty one, he's characterized as having a window in his office, which is strange in this universe because they all live underground. So really, it's not a window. It's basically just like a, a TV screen. It's something that harkens back to the past of when people would be able to see to, like an outside. And then not only that, but this guy, he wears eyeglasses, which in the future is said to be like a weird antiquated thing because everyone wears contacts. So right away, we know we, we have everything right there that we could just put it all together. I know, at first I was thinking, okay, Daniel, he can he can observe everything. He sees everything, just like Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes pretty much doesn't forget anything. But it's almost like Sherlock Holmes kind of likes to play games with people. You know, he lets Watson in when he wants. Daniel tells Bailey right away. So we, we are with Bailey as the readers. We know everything every step of the way. There's no, we're not being played. 
So, so in that way, I think Caves of Steel, you know, it's science fiction, but it's actually a very sophisticated detective story. So we learn the clues, we can start piecing things together. Me, though, I mean, I'm not a real... I haven't read many mysteries. I'm not real practiced in putting together clues. So I didn't actually figure out who it was until the very end. But, you know, a really astute reader, someone who is well-practiced at this, I think could easily figure out who the bad guy is. You know, Julius Enderby, the commissioner. I think anyone else reading it who knows mysteries could do that. This is not at all a lazy genre crossover. You know, science fiction writer decides to do detective story. This is actually an excellent detective story, an intricate mystery through kind of the, the lens of science fiction. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not really a practiced mystery reader either. So when I read a mystery, I pay attention to the signs. I pay attention to the clues. I try to think a step ahead of like, okay, who could this point to? But in this book, when I opened it, I was like, okay, this is a science fiction story. So I, I think I read it through a different kind of lens. I mean, I knew going in that he wanted to blend the two. But for at least the first part of the book, I was kind of tuned into something else. Like I was interested in the world and the rules that are established in this world and that progression. And then it took this like snap before I was like, oh, no, wait, this is a whodunit. Let's start paying attention to what's going on here. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you do this too? I mean, when you pick up different books, do you read it differently according to your expectation for that genre? Oh, I def especially for this one, I definitely did. I totally failed. Like you mentioned, you know, some of the main clues are he has a window in his office. He wears glasses. When I heard those details, I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to remember that. I was just paying attention to like, you know, what cool sci-fi things are there. You know, there's all these robots. There's They have weird guns. They have strange cars. So that, that is all that I was keeping track of in my mind. So when I picked up the book, I saw Asimov. That's all I was going to pay attention to. Very clever for him to piece together this very good mystery and, you know, give people the, well, not give people the option, but see if people latch on to the right thing or if they get distracted by certain things. So, you know, I was paying attention to just the wow factor of everything. And I missed out on piecing together a mystery. A lot of the descriptions of these wow factor things and these science fiction things, they're not really a distraction. They kind of make everything. I don't know. It's an interesting tension between these two genres, I think, throughout the whole book. For me, not knowing which to pay attention to, all of the twists, I was surprised by every twist. I was surprised by every reveal. Thrilled the whole time. Let's talk about uh, Daniil, Robot Daniil. Because, you know, we talked about the ending of the book and how we get from, from a body to a criminal. But I feel like Daniil is kind of crucial for the whole thing. As a detective, he's certainly one of the strangest detectives I've ever seen. Because he talks about his own creation inside the universe of the book. But he talks about himself being created in this way that reminds me of like an author talking about what makes their characters tick. He says he was initially designed to study human psychology. So he's just a he's just a robot tool that is able to read people's minds and figure out when they're lying, figure out what motivates them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What that basically means is he has empathy. He has robot empathy on steroids. But he says that they turned him from this tool into a detective just by retrofitting a single circuit onto him. They say, quote, the simple installation of a justice desire circuit. <laughs> just the simple installation of the concept of justice. I think of genre books and I think of different conventions and evolving these conventions. You know, for the detective, we have, how is my detective different from Sherlock Holmes? How is he not as good? How is he better? 
And in science fiction, you know, we have, take the dome idea, for instance, Caves of Steel is a dome. How do we make the dome a new idea? And in Daniel, we have, how do we make a new detective? And how do we make a new science fiction element, like a robot? Two new things in this really interesting character. And like you said, you know, the new thing is that justice circuit. Uh, so I think it is kind of, you know, the author saying, this is what makes my character tick. This is why they're interesting. And also I'm evolving the genre. And, you know, there's a lot about other robots on Earth that are really clunky. People on Earth don't like robots and they especially don't like robots that appear very human. Daniil appears 100% human and he comes from this outer space world where the spacers live. So when he comes down, there's a little bit of tension because Bailey, his partner, who's actually human, is thinking, are people seeing him as human? Are people seeing him as a robot? Is there going to be trouble? So that makes Daniel a really interesting character in this world as well. Because they have this great technology, he could be far superior to humans, but he's actually tuned down. So no one notices him. Otherwise, people would think, oh, it's a it's a robot right in front of me. So he's made less Superman-like in order to blend in. Yeah, so, I mean, it's important that our characters are fallible. And we get this interesting contrast because they're hiding his robot identity. I mean, really, it's like he's in a disguise almost. Uh, like, it's like we, it's like the partner of the protagonist is someone in disguise. And part of what drives the plot forward is making sure that his, his cover isn't blown. Why? Because he really makes people angry. Like robots are, like you said, they're, they're in many ways superior to humans. And this causes both this like material anxiety, like in the sense of, are these robots going to take my job and will I have to live in poverty? As well as this like existential anxiety, I guess, like, like something about these robots provokes people into violence like just the sight of the robots just interacting with them and i think it's just that there's something a little uncanny about them we get this window into our protagonist's mind you know through the narration of when he's talking to other robots and he never has a pleasant conversation with the robot daniel is the only one who he has a good conversation with when he's talking to the other robot sammy every single time he gets pissed off so going back a little bit you know, we're introduced to the weaknesses of the robot, too. They're not just superhuman. They're not just bigger than, better than human. Uh, they also have these physical weaknesses. So, like, uh, just a quick dose of radiation will destroy their positronic brains immediately. But also, the big thing is that they don't seem to be able to think like we do. When Daniil talks about his justice-desiring circuit, Elijah Bailey challenges him a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, you know, if you think you can just figure out justice... Why don't you define justice? Which, I mean, is a question that goes back pretty far in time. Like, can you define justice? Not easily. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but what Daniil says is, it's the state of all laws being obeyed, end quote. Which is a great answer because it completely sidelines all of the ethical questions of whether, like, the laws of a society actually match the ethics of a society you know what I mean? It leaves no room for unjust laws. It just simplifies everything in a way that a robot can understand and act on. Yeah, the robots have physical weaknesses uh, depending on how well they're built, but they can also be scrambled, like you said. But they're not really fallible. You know, they have to follow certain laws. There's no way they can actually act outside of these laws unless they're really well deceived by a human. And Asimov is famous for coming up with these three laws of robotics. And of course, Daniil has to follow 
every single one. The first law is a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So a robot can't kill a human if a human orders the robot. Number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Daniel is completely within these, although Bailey doubts it the whole time. And it seems like Earth people doubt that robots are good and doubt that they can always follow the law. And Bailey actually puts, um, he claims that Daniel violates the law because he holds a gun at humans. And he starts threatening people to basically get them to calm down. Later, of course, Daniel shows Bailey his gun. He's like, just open it up, take a look. He opens up the gun and the gun is a fake. It could never have been shot. So he never even came close to breaking any of the three laws. I like this constant unsettledness throughout the whole thing. We have a certain group of people assuring us again and again that these are fundamental laws of robotics. A robot cannot harm anyone. But then everyone else is just constantly calling this into question. None of the characters seem to really believe it, or at least that the robot can't be sidelined or disabled or altered. And, and as a reader, I think this affects us because we don't know whether we're actually being told the real rules of this universe or whether all of these questions that these other characters are raising are, are doing some kind of like dark foreshadowing work or whether all of this is just world building. So when we get a lot of tension between different groups of characters because of robots and also at first because there's tension between Elijah and our Daniel. Elijah doesn't trust his partner, his robot partner. Um, but what do you think of their interactions? Is this a relationship only a source of tension in the book or is it also utilized to other ends? Well, I noticed that Asimov uses Daniil as our outsider looking in, and he needs the universe explained to him. He isn't really familiar with what the, the world of the plot, the future Earth, looks like. So as Elijah Bailey explains the rules of this world to him, you know, it's, 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 doing, over, it's doing double time work in also explaining the rules of the universe to us, the readers. And I think this is used in really fun ways especially when Elijah asks about concepts or things that we share with this future world, like things that you and I both recognize and know and think about that the future science fiction world is also concerned with. Like just off the top of my head, uh, Daniil asked whether a parent would knowingly send their children into danger. Just this like open question. And it's a way for Asimov to really add depth to the story by having this kind of like sideline pause to discuss you know, would a parent really do this? Is this good parenting? I mean, it's not, he doesn't spend very long on it, but it's these kind of like examining of open questions and explaining the ambiguities of it to a robot that add depth to it. But this also goes in reverse too. So like Bailey asked Daniil to define a dream to him. And he says, and Daniil being a robot can only say the literal dictionary definition because he's never dreamed before. He just says, it's an illusion of reality experienced during the temporary suspension of conscious thought. So the fun as a reader comes from it being so far away from what it actually feels like to dream. And it's interesting every time, like this was used in Star Trek Next Generation for every season, Data always asking like, what does it mean to be angry? Something like that, some sort of super mundane human emotion and this visitor outside that kind of experience saying, isn't that novel? <laughs> uh, and I think we have a, 
another different another different version of that that were some of my favorite moments in the caves of steel because Daniel appears 100% human. No one has any suspicion that he's a robot, except for Bailey, because he's been told he's a robot, but even Bailey doubts it completely. So I think some really interesting moments are when the author gets really close to Daniel's body, and we can kind of see like what the robot, what the android, or what the human, whatever he is, how these different parts work. So for instance, there's a scene where Bailey doesn't want to eat alone. So he makes Daniel go with him. He says, can you eat? He says, well, I don't take in nutrition. He says, well, just eat with me. I need someone to <laughs> spend time with. So they go and they eat food. And then later, Danielle says, oh, I have to remove my food. So he just takes his finger and like pushes on his stomach, which immediately just opens. His stomach just opens. And then the food, which has been kind of chewed, but not at all digested. So just little pieces of hamburger like hanging out in his stomach. <laughs> and then uh, Danielle says to Bailey, Food is perfectly clean. I do not salivate or chew. It was drawn in through the gullet by suction, you know. It is edible. And Bailey goes, uh, uh that's all right. Uh, I'm not hungry. You just get rid of it. So these crazy moments of like impossible body things, I yeah. loved. I was drawn completely into the book. Yeah, these kinds of interactions are really like the most fun parts of the book for me. Uh, they come across as this like weird... 1950s David Cronenberg body horror thing. I mean, like obviously Cronenberg is from later, but it's like like it's like anticipating David Cronenberg's work. But all of it feels really tame today. Like maybe in when this book was published in 1954, these kinds of things were more outrageous. I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it it does remind me of Cronenberg body horror, and um, in some of the scenes when Bailey actually like manipulates his body, it's total outrageousness. Like. There's the, the scene when he takes out his arm just to, to prove to Bailey that he's a robot. Rolls up his sleeve. His arm looks completely normal. He's got a hairy arm. And then he pokes into his arm again. And just immediately the whole arm from the wrist to the elbow splits. And it's just... Ugh. So a seam splits down his arm and it just opens. And it shows all the stuff inside. This detective who's probably seen bodies hundreds of times. He sees this arm opening up. and He actually passes out. So I think that is kind of a way to say, like, isn't this crazy? Aren't you also going to pass out, reader? Yeah. It's also good for uh, the characterization, too, because uh, he doesn't trust his partner at all. I mean, when he first meets Daniil, all, all he talks about is how, how much he's repelled by him. He, he tries to get off the case. He's like, oh, I don't want to work with this robot. And when he finds out that he has to actually give the robot a place to stay... Uh, he's like, oh, no. um, and then, you know, it goes even further than that. Like, like this, this tension builds up to him quite early on, accusing the robot of not only being an imp imposter, but also being, um, you know, an accomplice, like a, a tool, uh, having been there for the crime. Not only that, but he also goes out of his way to hide information from Daniil. Like uh, when he's trying to have these secret conversations with his wife, hoping that Daniil doesn't hear. Mm. Every other chapter for the first half of the book is he's trying to prove Daniil as the murderer, his organ, you know, as a human. He's calling him a liar every other five pages. But then on the other hand, you know, Daniil never bats an eye. He's always nice to Bailey. He understands Bailey's suspicion. And the whole time from the beginning, he calls him partner Bailey. So he wants to be 
good friends, good partners. With them. And I think uh, in this way, Daniil is the, the bigger man most of the time. Daniil is absolutely the bigger man. I mean, he comes across as trusting and open uh, in the way that someone who was truly just born yesterday can only be. <laughs> uh, whereas Elijah is just bitter and suspicious the whole time. Elisha's characterization is very much in line with, with this kind of like hardened, been around the block detective trope. But it is super strange how near the end we find out that Daniil is actually something of a double agent. I mean, he isn't just there to solve the crime. We find out he's actually there to kind of have this ideological, to push an ideological shift in the human society so that people become more pro-robotics. Uh, he wants to actually change the politics of the human society so that Earth will resume colonization of other planets. I mean, this isn't Daniil's idea. This is the spacers trying to manipulate the political systems of Earth. And, you know, upon learning this, you would think that uh, Elijah would no longer trust him, would be like, oh my God, I'm being manipulated, would say... This is the actual definition of a secret agent and maybe something we should look into. But nope, not at all. Uh, Elijah buys right into it all and, and helps him. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it was the first half of the book, he would totally punch Daniil or do something. You know, he, would, he wouldn't be his happy partner anymore. But he's not pulling the wool over Bailey's eyes. He finds out and right away he tells Bailey. And he says, well, the investigation is off. Here's why. It's all the political ploy. But then Bailey says, we've still got an hour and a half until the end, until midnight, till the end of the case. Can you at least help me for the next hour and a half? So then finally, you know, Daniil thinks about it and he says, you're right, partner Bailey. There are still two hours left. And Bailey thinks to himself almost proudly, yeah, I'm still partner Bailey for another two hours. So I think they've grown together so much throughout the book that they can... They can get over this kind of what would have been betrayal much earlier in the book, would have ended the relationship. Now they're best buddies. They can get over it together. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they're both unwitting victims of conspiracies on both of their ends. Like both of them are pawns by something greater than themselves uh, with very little overlap. But each of them has this moment of revelation about that. But this moment you're talking about where where he calls him partner Bailey and he kind of rejoices at this, uh, that's like that's like the character turning point for Elijah. Um, because, you know, when we start out, it's not just that he doesn't like Daniil, but he seems professionally threatened by him too. Like, I think at some point someone says to him, maybe the police chief says to him that, the most important thing about this case is that he doesn't let the robot solve it. Because if the robot solves the crime, then what's the point of having human detectives? Because robots can do it better, faster. Yeah, he has this like really personal stake in it and in, in his professional jealousy, I guess. And a big part of his character that he talks about quite a bit is how when he was a kid, his dad was demoted and how that sent the family into poverty. If job to a robot he has this frame of reference for what that looks like and that's really helpful as readers you know it's not just this like speculative if he is shown up by a robot then maybe this will happen it's like no he went from like seemingly upper middle class to like low low class in the blink of an eye and that could happen again to him something about this actually you know we almost have a true buddy cop pair 
But it's this fear for the overwhelming part of the book that prevents them from being a real buddy cop dynamic. Yeah, it is. It is a real looming fear. And that is hard to get over. In that way, it's like a, a one-sided buddy cop film or book because Daniel is always supportive. He doesn't have, well, he might have a looming threat, but he never judges Bailey because of his own personal discomfort. Whereas Bailey, he's the one who is always resisting the partnership. He's kind of the antagonist to Daniil for part of the book. But, you know, they are a good buddy cop pair because buddy cops, they always start out hating each other. They always start out working in totally different ways. They have different values, but they are trying to solve the same problem. And in solving the same problem, they learn that two different styles can work together. So in this way, you know, Bailey's dislike and distrust of Daniil is perfect for one half of the equation, but then on the other half, Daniel always cooperates. So that's why I say it's a one-sided buddy cop film. But, you know, they work together because they are both really good detectives, and they can both see that in each other. And then eventually, Bailey becomes better, you know, a better man, because of Daniel's influence. Yeah, I know that there's a few direct sequels to this book. I mean, Isaac Asimov wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of books, but I think I think that there's like two or maybe three ones that come directly after this. And I'm interested in whether they keep these two as partners, whether they maintain the, you know, detective novel heart with the science fiction shell aspects. They really hint at the possibility at the end of this book with Daniil's being like, oh, our assignment's over. And Elijah asks him, hey, do you want to stay here on Earth with me? But part of that felt more like the author testing the waters, like, he didn't seem sure if he wanted to commit to making more sequels yet. He was just floating the idea around. They kind of leave it open, too, because Elijah says that maybe Daniil could work with his son, like, you know, his 10-year-old son. Like, so so I don't know what the future will look like for this team if it is Daniil and Elijah. And it's hard to imagine how their dynamic will shift when they're actually a functioning pair. So much of what's interesting about the first book won't even be usable in any sequels. Like you said, now that they're a happy pair, where's the tension? Besides that, you know, there won't be any more body shock. We've already seen him open up his stomach, his arm. There won't be buddy cops coming to learn from one another. And I feel like that's a problem with buddy cop sequels in general. You know, once they've fixed, fixed all their problems in the first movie, where do they go from there? There's, there's no dramatic tension. So Asimov, I think, will really need to introduce some new elements to keep readers interested. Yeah, you know, if I had to speculate, I would say this. By the end of this book, Elijah, I mean, Elijah was already a great detective, possibly one of the best ones in the department. Daniil is something more detective than any human can be. I mean, I, I don't see how any other detectives could compete with these two. So I think moving forward, what we need is kind of like the superhero losing their powers movie, you know, like we would need Daniil to be taken out of the picture for another story to be told or somehow depowered or the two split apart. Oh God, that's such a bummer. They're going to, they're going to fry his brain or something. Well, we'll read it anyway. Yeah. Next week, we are reading The Isle of the Undead by Lloyd Eschbach. It is, quote, a gripping, thrilling, uncanny tale about the frightful fate that befell a yachting party in the dreadful island of living dead men. <laughs> That's it for Caves of Steel. Talk to you later, Zach. Talk to you later, Bob. <laughs>